Hello and welcome to Mother Mother, a podcast from the mom friends you need right now, because this shit is hard. I'm your host, Emily Ferris, a writer and married mom of two in Kansas City, Missouri. While Mother Mother is technically a parenting podcast, this isn't a podcast about kids. It's a podcast all about the experience of being a mother. You can learn more about the podcast and my guests at mothermotherpodcast.com and join the conversation anytime in the Mother Mother Podcast Facebook group where the password is tired. My guest today is Natasha Bailey. Is it Natasha or Natasha? What do you say? Natasha. Natasha Bailey. I'm sorry. I should know that. But mostly we're friends from the internet. Natasha Bailey, a mother of five, wife, chef, podcaster, and true crime aficionado. And an aspiring terophile with a heavy cheese addiction. Natasha, I should know this because I'm a fucking food writer. First, did I pronounce terophile correctly? And second, what the hell does it mean? Yes, you did. It just means a connoisseur of cheese. I love cheese. Okay. Now, is there like um, a a certification for that? Because my husband is a connoisseur of beer and he has a Cicerone, which I explain to people as like a sommelier of beer. Yes, you take your CCP, with his, which is a certified cheese professional. Okay, so you are a certified cheese professional, a.k.a. turophile. I'm actually studying to become one, and I take my test this summer. Ooh. Yes. So you're just like tasting a lot of cheese in preparation. Yes, tasting and reading a lot about cheeses. Yes. I remember Kyle reading all of the beer books. He yes. still reads all the beer books. And the, and the cheese books. He's now reading... He's, he reads a cookbook like it is a coffee table book or like a, like a novel, Cheese, Sex, Death. Yes, I am actually – Boom, right there. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. She, it's edgy. It's edgy and Erica is amazing. I would say that that book is to the cheese world what this podcast is to the parenting podcast world. Yes, I would agree. <laughs> Tattoos, curse words. Fun. Maybe some substances thrown in there. <laughs> Great pairings, like Emily and Natasha. Yes. Yes. I'm so excited for this. Me too, because we were supposed to hang out um, like 17 years ago. No, it was more like um, <laughs> three years ago, maybe. We were at a concert. Yes. And your husband was in the band, and I had no idea it was your husband, because I had yes. known you kind of off and on through the food world here in Kansas City. And I was like, what? That guy's your husband? And I think I was doing social media for the restaurant group, and he was a waiter at one of the restaurants. Yes. And I had no idea that that was your husband. Yes. Damon Bailey. Damon Bailey. So he was playing in, um, was it the MGD? No, wait, what band is it? What, I think was he it? was playing with Andrew Foshi. Yes. Who is like a singer-songwriter. I was working with him. Yes. Oh, he's so fun. So you are a terophile. You also have a podcast about food here in Kansas City, a local podcast. Tell me about that podcast. Um, it's with Ginny uh, Vaguera, and we talk about Missouri food history. Can you give me one weird tidbit about Missouri food history that would amaze people? Yeah, actually, the 1904 World's Fair had a huge impact on uh, the way we as a country look at food. And it was right here in St. Louis, Missouri. Really? Yeah. It was probably my favorite episode because it um, debunked some myths and also made me aware of just how progressive <laughs> progressive Missouri used to be. <laughs> Missouri felt progressive until like... 2016. Yes. <laughs> like compared to Kansas. Yes. Oh my gosh. It felt like a oasis. And then Kansas got Ugh. a little more. I honestly thought Kansas was going to legalize weed before Missouri did. I did as well. But I'm thankful that we actually were able to kind of get that moving. We still have a long way to go, yes. but we're working. But on I'm it. a, I'm a mom. I, I call a soccer mom with a medical marijuana card. 
Same. Yes. <laughs> I don't drive a minivan, but I do have a kid who plays soccer. So it's fun to say I'm a soccer mom, but I cannot smoke weed. I cannot enjoy weed recreationally. It just makes me, I'm, I'm a total cliche if I try to enjoy weed recreationally because I, I, I wonder if it has something to do with my ADHD or just the fact that I'm always tired. But since I was young, too young to be imbibing substances, but like young, <laughs> at any time I, I smoked weed, I would get like, I would laugh at everything, yes, talk a lot, eat copious amounts of Taco Bell, Yes. And then pass the fuck out on the couch. <laughs> yes. And like even now as a 39-year-old woman with with very quality like high quality grade medical marijuana that still happens to me. So I use it to help me sleep. Yeah. And I have like pain and like chronic back pain. My back went out for the first time when I was 19 and I have migraines. So I like the ability to access it. Same. I like to be able to join the relaxation station if I need to. Yes. 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 It is very it is nice to do that. And I I really like that too because for a while I was taking melatonin to help me sleep. Yeah. And this was in between kids, so I had Teddy my first and then I was on the pill for a while and then I decided to go off the pill and I was off the pill for 18 months before I got pregnant with my second. And I was taking melatonin in that time because I had been diagnosed with ADHD. So I had been taking ADHD meds and I noticed my periods were getting really fucked up. And so I started doing some digging, you know, Dr. Google, hashtag do your own research. Well, (laughs) apparently melatonin, (laughs) it's like messes with your hormones. And so it was screwing up my period, but I didn't even know that was a thing that it could do. So it was like messing up my cycle. And I had no idea that it could do that. Nobody tells you that. Nobody nobody tells you a lot of things about your body and your reproductive cycle. I'm still yes. learning that. Same. Still learning that. Especially now that I have a geriatric uterus. I too have a geriatric uterus, but mine is now um, non-functioning. Non-functioning. I had that shit. Well, I guess my uterus might still work, but I had my tubes surgically uh, cauterized, cut and cauterized in my final and second C-section. Oh, yeah. Kudos to you because that is hard. Yeah. Speaking of hard, you have five kids now. Yes, we had a pandemic baby. Wow. That is I I had a pandemic baby, but I didn't know I was having a pandemic baby. So I had my my second 3 weeks before lockdown. So he's technically a pandemic baby. It was it was a rough beginning of lockdown. It was rough. But you like you went through a lockdown with kids. You were homeschooling like a ton of kids. I remember I even sold you some desks. Yes. You were homeschooling like 75 kids. Yes. In a pandemic. Then got pregnant. Yes. Then fully gestated and had a baby, and this pandemic is still happening. Yes. Oh yes. my god. So I still have a a little pandemic baby. Those desks. Oh my god, they saved my life. I spray painted those desks at everybody's set up in stations. Like it was fantastic. I love it. And then we were like, when is this ever going to happen again? That we will get all of our kids in one space for a long period of time. And I thought. Damon and I were like, well, this will probably never, ever happen again. So we loaded everybody into our car. Well, first we rented an RV. Oh, it fun. fell apart. Then we put everybody in the car and we drove to the West Coast. So we took them on a tour of Colorado, Idaho, South Dakota, Wyoming, Utah, back down to California, back to Colorado, then back home. How fun. We just stayed in our house and fought with each other the whole time. Oh, we were fighting in the car. <laughs> but then we got to see the beautiful surroundings. And it was a trip of a lifetime. We took, I'm going to say, like 25 days and just saw. Oh, my God. Saw the West Coast. We just had to get out of here. And since we were all together anyways, 
We just like did Airbnbs, we camped, and we just really bonded. It was a trip that you can only do once in a lifetime. How old were your kids then? Because the pandemic started 75 years ago. So, Oh my gosh, it feels so long ago. So do I that math. Say we had a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, 12-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a huge Anatolian shepherd in the car with us. <laughs> what kind of car were you driving? <laughs> we had a, what was it? A Chevy Traverse. So we had like third row seating. We just all made it work. We wow. really liked each other at that time. Now, was this in the summer? Did you get through homeschool or were you just like, fuck the homeschool, we're taking a road trip? This was the minute school ended, we got out of town. Okay. Nice. Yeah. We had all been cramped up. and So you got more cramped in the car. Got more cramped in the car, but I could see the kids were, they needed to get out. It was just like a lot of everything happening all at once. So we got out for a little bit and I had a broken ankle. So I was in a boot and we just needed to get out. I feel like George Floyd had happened. It was like so much going on, so much to think about. My go-to is to get back with nature. So I wanted us to get back and see the world. Yeah. I I feel like I should point this out now for our listeners because you just mentioned George Floyd. You are a black mother. Yes, I am a black mother. So that also had to have added stress to an already stressful and heavy time. Yes, I am a black mother with biracial children and I have a white husband. And so while we were traveling, we would definitely get some looks (laughs) and that would lead to some conversations but we were already having those conversations. So it was- You mean um, conversations with your kids about the looks you were getting? Yes, about about racial injustice and the structure of America. And we were having those conversations and then we went into um, predominantly white spaces at that time because camping and being in Wyoming and Yellowstone and it was just kind of seeing it on TV and experiencing it in real time. You don't see a lot of black people camping in South Dakota and Utah. But maybe that's because like, do you want to be alone in the woods with a bunch of old white men with guns and knives? Not particularly. I'm just a sassy white lady and I sometimes worry about that. I love that so much. And <laughs> the dog, the main scare was bears. So yeah. so Ollie was fantastic. And I just think it was such a great bonding experience for all of us to have that time together. Yeah, it sounds like it. I wish that we would have done something like that. We did a few small, like Airbnb, you know, short drives, but with a a small baby, as you have known four times now, five times, the longer road trips are harder with a small baby. I could not have imagined. Yeah. We just did like the Ozark. So we're in Kansas City for, I know everyone listening, I've said that a million times. You're also in Kansas City. So for us, the Ozarks is like a three hour drive. We did Lawrence, Kansas, which is like 45 minutes. So we've done a few like close things, but I loved, I I was definitely jealous of people who were just loading up and taking these long road trips and getting out into nature. But um, I couldn't get out of my own head. We just masked up, sanitizer, let's do it. Now, did all of you avoid getting COVID? Yeah, we did. We were in a pod. We were like strict pod. And up to this point, let's knock on that wood, uh, we have been able to steer clear, which is a feat in itself. But we've had every scare in the world you can think of, scare it from the kids' jobs, scare from the kids' schools. All of those things have happened. I've been lucky with work. We've been able to keep everybody coast clear. But I mean, it's a fight. You have to be very intentional and diligent about it because who knows. Now, were you able to get the vaccine while you were pregnant? 
I was. So your baby has antibodies, hopefully, we think. That's how that's how that we think that works. Yes. That is how we are praying that it works. Oh my God. That must be a little bit of a relief at least, because I, I know firsthand how terrifying it is to have a small child in a pandemic. <laughs> oh my gosh. And the fear of being pregnant, you know, oh. like well, with Bo's pregnancy, I told no one. I know. I, when you posted your baby on Facebook, I was like, what the fuck? Where did this baby come from? <laughs> I got I, I got this weird like anxiety. I was afraid to share. I felt like I felt like I was going to share that I was pregnant with this beautiful baby and then it was not going to happen. And I was terrified. And I felt like it was something that I could keep for myself yeah. because... I felt like I was doing a lot of educating with my Facebook and I was getting overwhelmed and I was constantly having to tell people and talk about race and talk about Trumper things. And it was exhausting. And at the same time, at the beginning of my pregnancy, my husband went into rehab because he was really having a fight with addiction. And I think that I just got scared and I had to continue being a mom through all of that. You know? So you were alone with the four kids with a husband in rehab and you were pregnant? In a pandemic. Was it your first trimester? Yeah. That's the worst. Yeah. Oh my God. So I was like super sick and super tired and um, super scared. And so I, I feel like for the first probably four months, I was pretty alone. Shout out to my mother-in-law, Lisa Bailey. She's amazing. She helped me through so much of that. Yay for amazing mother-in-laws because yes. I, you hear so many horror stories and I also have an amazing mother-in-law. Yes. I feel like we need to uh, we need to praise them when we can because they are out there and we many of us will be mother-in-laws someday. Yes. And, and we can be good. We can be good and fun. You don't have to be an evil mother-in-law. No. And mine is, she's definitely not, man. She is my saving grace because I was, I was scared and I didn't know how to say it. I didn't know how to put my feelings out there without scaring my kids. And yeah. I think that was like the biggest thing. I wanted to keep things normal for them. And I wanted to be supportive to my husband. But I also had this child that I was trying to bring into the world. And so I had to just like go in inside of myself and hibernate. Yeah. Oh, I feel so. I wish I could go back then and give you a hug. But also we were in a pandemic. So I probably would have just like <laughs> stood on your porch and waved to you and given you an air hug. Or I bring me a turkey like you did. I did bring you a turkey once. <laughs> Um, now that was, your husband had a health scare before that. Yes. So tell me about that. You don't have to go into detail, but tell me whatever you're, you're comfortable sharing. No, uh, he had a stroke and ended up in the ICU. And this was October of 2020, right? Yes. This is October of 2020. And then um, he was in the hospital for, I want to say 14 to 16 days. And then being in a pandemic, he went from the ICU straight back home. And so when you have a stroke, the side effects are depression and anxiety. And they sent him home with uh, like a week's worth of medicine. And then they were like, we'll see you again in February. And in that time, everything spiraled out of control. God, no wonder he ended up in rehab. Exactly. Jesus. In a pandemic. In a pandemic. With four kids. With four kids. And one on the way. You were working in the food world and he was working in the food world and you had four kids and it was a pandemic. I can't imagine you were like rolling in money at this time. No. And I had been laid off at the beginning of the pandemic. And I was dealing with my own issues because I had never not had a job. And it was another thing too, because at the time, 
people are being laid off and they're getting unemployment. And that becomes a national conversation of, well, people don't need this uh, additional income to come with the unemployment. But we do because everything is stopped. And it's like, how am I supposed to pick up? I can't get a new job. Like you say that it's so easy to get a new job, but I have no childcare. I can barely even let them even think about going to school. Everybody is doing school from home. So I have to be a teacher, a mom, the nurse, everything, you know? And so it's just like, no, I, I needed that. And what I would do to make myself feel like, like I was doing something is I would go to those mutual aid groups on Facebook and I would try to give when I could give. And we got gardens. I raised rabbits and quails because I didn't know how the food supply chain was going to be. I was canning. I was picking things out of the garden. I was trying to just be self as self-reliant as I could be during that time period, you know, with everything else going on. So I will say that I appreciate it the time because it really taught me that I am a lot more resilient than I ever gave myself credit for. And when I look at my kids now, I'm super thankful that I did take that time because I am just so proud of them and so lucky that I get to be their mom. I think they are so lucky they had you as a mom because oh, you so are amazing and resilient. But I think there's also this this idea that like moms are amazing and resilient and strong and like you proved that you are, but we are because we have to be and we shouldn't have to be and we shouldn't have had to be moms shouldn't have had to do as much as we've been doing in the last two years yes it's too much it's too much and it's a thankless job but it shouldn't be and I think about this a lot what would happen if all of us moms just disappeared if if we were gone what would happen oh my god you're giving me way more anxiety now <laughs> I, think about, exactly. I think about that a lot like I think about like if I if something happened to me how often would my husband clip my kids toenails yes would it ever get done would they get would they grow claws but then like grow back into their feet would they then they wouldn't be able to walk yes and and you know i know kyle he would not let that happen i know but it's just we do so much that you don't even talk about or know to talk about you know and i think when all that all those things were happening i have some good mom friends now that I did not have then. And I think that I myself was so drained from having conversations about race and moving forward and felt so, I think that that time period, I think people were meant well with trying to understand what was going on, but it put a lot of pressure on people who were just trying to live because I feel like being a female black chef when the racial reckoning happened, as we like to call it, there was a lot of performative outreach. And yes. if you didn't have all of your ducks in a row to be able to be someone during that time, I put someone in quotes, then you would miss out on so many opportunities, you know? Right, because it was almost like a window of time. It was it a window was. of time when people were promoting Black Black creators, black creatives, yes. black professionals. It was a window. It was such a short window. Now, some of it is stuck, I will say, in like some places it is stuck. But it was, it did, it, 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 it was a moment. Yes. Which yes. I hate to say, and it feels really gross because it should never have gotten to where we needed a moment. Totally. And it shouldn't have just been a moment. Yes. But in that moment, I applied for every scholarship and everything that was around going on. And I received like quite a few of them that I went after. And Good. that's how I'm able to take my CCP this summer, you know, without paying for it is because I got a scholarship through the 
American Cheese Society. And then I went for like Harvest Corps. I did, I just applied for all of these dream scholarships that I would never have been able to take any other time or take the time to apply for. And in that, I was doing that on top of everything else. So it felt like there was no break, you know? I feel like I was almost working harder during the pandemic than I was before. Oh, yeah. Even though you have been laid off. It yes. Was, yeah. Yeah. I had taken, I called it my measly self-imposed freelancer maternity leave. It was four weeks, except it ended up being three weeks because my husband, who worked in beer, food, got furloughed right away and then eventually laid off. And I was like, well, fuck, I have to make income now. I mean, there was a there was some unemployment, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't yes. like enough to sustain us. So I like I had a three week old on my boob. I was I had my laptop on my lap and the baby on my boob. And I was like trying to hustle to get work. And I was like, yes, pitching stories about I it felt so gross to be pitching stories about the pandemic. But I was like pitching stories to editors and I do some website design. So I was like, hey, you need a website. I can help you. I can, you know, yeah, it, it felt gross, but it was also like survival. Yes, because we have to survive. That was also really eye-opening to me because if I felt like having never lived through a pandemic, I thought that we would have the spirit of, of like the country feeling like we are in wartime. I felt like we would all like bond and stick together and it would make us more cohesive as a country. And, and I felt like we would be supported. And then everybody went out and bought all the toilet paper. And then all the toilet paper disappeared <laughs> and the mask disappeared. Yeah. And then people were like, my rights. And and I was just like, you're right. Like, what happened to public safety? You know, I mean, it just, everything, it felt so gross. It felt so disgusting. I just had higher hopes for us as a collective whole of people than what I saw and experienced through that time. Oh, humanity has been so disappointing. So disappointing. And I didn't even expect a lot out of people. No. But it's worse than I imagined than I could have ever imagined having lived through 9-11 yeah and to see so many people so many Americans dying and the conversation is still focused on well what about me it just broke my heart it gave me a huge sense of despair and on top of that there are images like repeatedly of black people dying constantly going on in your head and it was just too much so I feel like after I realized I was pregnant then I shut it all down. I didn't post anymore. I couldn't log in. I couldn't do any of that. I had to find uh, my sense of joy again. So other than stepping away from social media, how did you take care of yourself and find a sense of joy? Lots of baths, lots of cheese. Yes. And you know, they tell you you're not supposed to take a hot bath when you're pregnant. Forget them. I took a hot bath every single night of my Oh pregnancy. my god, like I needed it. I needed candles and I needed cheese and I needed to just like lay down and laugh with my kids. Also watching my husband like really fight for for his life every day during that time, you know, and I just don't think that I ever knew how hard addiction is when you are really trying to come out of it and better yourself. Like there are just so many layers to it. It gave me a sense of gratitude and grace for other people, Yeah, which is what I really needed in that time to, to really dig back down into my humanity and not get washed away in all of the negative thoughts that were going around. And it's hard. It's hard to not do that. And I want to talk about that more in the second half. Yeah. 
But before we go to break, I'm going to lighten the lighten the mood for a moment. Natasha, what are you wearing? I am wearing mom jeans. Yes. With some clogs with socks. Now, are you wearing like kitchen clogs or like like leather cute clogs? Leather cute clogs. Nice. And I'm wearing a turtleneck with thumb holes, which I really love. <laughs> Ooh, because it makes when you put your coat on, right? Like yes! your, your sleeve doesn't write up. sleeves just stay. Yes. And then a nice warm beanie, or I was wearing a beanie, but I took it off because of headphones. Headphones, but yeah. Yeah, because it's kind of cold in my room. And cute glasses. Oh, thank you. We can see each other. Yes. <laughs> we're, we're only recording the audio, but I like to look at my guests because it makes the conversation much better. Yes. yes. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. All right, we're back. My guest is Natasha Bailey, a mother of five. I didn't say congratulations yet, by the way. Congratulations on the new baby. <laughs> Thank you. And what's the baby's name, if you're comfortable sharing it? Bo Bailey. Bo Bailey. You, I remember you posted. That's so cute. Bo Bailey. Little Bo Bailey. She's so cute. Oh, my God. Congratulations. Thank you. On your pandemic, baby. Yes. Are you feeling <laughs> like – I know you said that you were able to get vaccinated when you were pregnant. Are you still – kind of feeling that I say still because I had it that like, oh my God, I have a tiny baby in a pandemic anxiety. Yes, I am. But now having teenagers that are vaxxed, double vaxxed, uh, we were able to get my son vaxxed. Now having a whole house that's vaxxed makes me feel so much better. And yeah. me being vaxxed and boosted and nursing, I feel like she's got a little bit of a bubble around her. That's so great. I quit nursing my second at nine months. I do not like nursing. And I had a, I had a, you've probably heard me talk Same. on the show about the troubles I had with my first. And so I quit nursing my second at nine months. Even though we were locked in the house together, it felt like such a relief to me to just be like bottle and, yes. and, and just be done with it. I hate nursing. But when I then got the vaccine, I was like, God, should I start like trying to pump and make milk again so I can give him antibodies? But that's the anxiety. I'm doing the pumping because I had to go back to work and the pressure, it was too much pressure. So I, I'm like, let me find a formula that I trust. Let me still pump and get that, give, give her that milk. I'll do it for a year and then mama's done. Yeah. Like I just can't. And I was stressing so hard that it messed with my supply. So then I started using Bobby as our formula and we can supplement with that so that I don't have all the pressure on myself because feeding a whole human is a lot of pressure and you're yes. doing everything else. So I just, I feel so good about it, but I'm also, I want myself back. Like I want to be able to be fully myself again. So I'm going to give her a little bit longer, but mama, mama's tired of nursing. Oh my God. I get like, I, I just felt, I got to the point where I was like, I hadn't had a vaccine yet because it was, it was nine months into the pandemic, but I was like, he's gotten what he can get. Yes. My breast milk. And we're not leaving the house. So it's not like I'm getting colds. Yes. So I've given him what I can. Yes, and that's all you can do. And that's why, and some people can't do that, and that's fine too. Exactly. We feed our babies. Yes. I made the mistake recently of um, I was drinking in the bath because that's my favorite thing to do. And <laughs> Kyle worries about me, but I'm like, the bathtub is small and I am big and there's no way I'm going to like fall asleep and drown myself in the bath. But I was drinking in the bath and I made the mistake of engaging with like a breast is best warrior on Janet Lansbury's post. Oh. 
So Janet Lansbury, I'm sure most people listening have heard of her or seen her pop up if you're a parent or a mother, but she does, has this whole respectful parenting thing. And some of her stuff I, I have to roll my eyes at it because I'm like, I just got to, you know. Yes. When you dig into it, sometimes it's like, okay, this makes sense when she explains herself, but sometimes it's, it's a little extra. Yes. But she had shared something about breastfeeding and I honestly can't remember too much what it was. It was just like somebody giving up the struggle of breastfeeding and it brought calm to the mom and the baby. And somebody commented this whole thing. Well, I did a whole series of education before my baby was born with and I had no problems. And I was just like, nobody who needs Janet's post needs this comment right now. And then we kind of got back and forth and I ended up, let me guess, you're probably an anti-vaxxer too. And then I was just like, I'm disengaging. I'm disengaging. I'm trying to relax. I'm in the bath. Don't ruin my bath, lady. Yes. And to each their own. You know, when I first had Cadence, we were raw foodists, right? Is she your oldest? Yes. Okay. And I was like, I want everything to be organic. I want her to, every time she looks up, I want to be looking at her and smiling. I want to make eye contact. I don't ever want her to feel alone. And then we had Cora <laughs> and we we tried that. We were, we were raw foodists for, and then I was like, you know, this is hard, man. Like, it's fucking hard. Like, I... I still count in all of this as well, you know, yes. and, and like, I just tell moms now do the best you can and that'll be good enough. You know, you love your kid, you're doing the best you can, but I don't see anybody else out here with busted nipples. Like it's painful. Being engorged is painful. My nipples hurt so badly. Forever. And I you couldn't know? use the cool, the cooling. I would feel like the breast storage milk bags up with hot water and I had to put them on my nipples because cold just made it worse. Yes. And it's just like, man, we literally carried this kid for nine months. Then we pushed them out and that's no fun. I mean, that is just like... <laughs> or getting your abdomen cut into, that also is not fun. You know, like it's all just too much. And, and the healing process, like it's horrible. Every part of it is horrible. At some point you have to be easy with yourself and just say, I did my best because you did. The kid is here. Like yep. they're here and you did your part. They need a happy mom. A happy mom is better yes. than an anxious mom too. I remember one time, like I, I had a lot of issues with milk production and I'm sure my anxiety was part of it. And I think it was allergy. There was a whole, there were a lot of reasons I won't get into. But yes. the one time I ever pumped the most milk, I think I'd gotten like five ounces out of one boob and four out of the other. And it's like the most I'd ever pumped. And one was just full of blood. Yes. And I was like, I'm giving this baby this bloody milk. <laughs> and you're going to like it. It's strawberry, strawberry milk. milk. <laughs> <laughs> I worked hard for this. <laughs> or you pump the most you ever pumped just to have it leak out into your bra, mm -hmm. you know, or spill it. I had that happen. I'd worked all day. I was so exhausted. I was trying to pump. I had pumped at work, which isn't fun in itself. You're hiding in your office, like pumping. And then it spilled somehow. Somehow the cup came off. I had milk literally everywhere. There's a baby looking at me. She didn't want to nurse. Like she was over the boobs and I'm just like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? So I Instacarted some formula, you know, I was like, yes. look, I can't, I have to feed you. I can't feel like I'm a failure every single moment of every single day. So I just had to like do what was best for me to be a good mom for her. I started giving Charlie like supplemental formula before bed at four months when I sleep trained. And that was like the biggest relief. Yes. Because of the pandemic anxiety and just the kid, the older kid home and just everything. I was just like, it felt so good to give him formula. Yes. And to just have support, yeah. you know, when it's all Take on you. Take this baby. Take this bottle. Oh my gosh, please. 
I mean, only my husband because we were locked in the house. It was only us, but still just handing him off and be like, take this baby. You've got to, you've got something to do. And that was why I was super thankful because when Damon came home, he was like such a better version of himself, you know? And he came home maybe two months before Bo uh, was born. And when we had her and I brought her home, he was, he's always been such a great baby dad. So he was like so perfect with her and like knew everything to do. And then I think I was home for seven days and then I had to go back to the hospital uh, because I developed postpartum preeclampsia. Oh my God. So like my legs looked like loaves of bread. They just like (gasps) swelled up so much and my blood pressure was so high that they uh, immediately put me on a magnesium drip for like 24 hours. I couldn't eat or drink anything. And the doctors at St. Luke's and the nurses at St. Luke's were so sweet and so supportive and they got me through it. So I was away from her for like four days and then I was able to come back home. And it was just like to know that he was there and the baby was fine and the kids like rallied around him and the baby and everybody was helping and being so sweet. It like made me just so thankful that I was even able to have her, you know, because I was so anxious the whole pregnancy. And then I have her and I, I really just wanted to meet her. And then I meet her and then I start getting like really sick right after. So I was just like nervous the whole time, but we made it through and she's at, she's amazing. Your pandemic has been a lot. Like <laughs> I feel like, <laughs> I feel like I had a really stressful lockdown and pandemic and I feel like I'm coming out of it now and I'm kind of like overburdening myself with projects. But I mean, my pandemic was stressful and it was a lot. But one thing I kept saying was you know, other people have it so much worse. And in some ways that made me feel better. And it made me like check my privilege and just realize how lucky I was. But also I think there's a little bit of danger in just always telling yourself that other people have it worse because then if you don't deal with your own shit and your own stress, like, yeah, my stress was manageable compared to what other people were going through. Like compared to what you were going through, you had like twice as many kids as I did. And then you added another one on and your husband had a stroke and went into rehab and you were homeschooling older kids. And then you got preeclampsia. Like you had, you had it so much worse than I did. And so that makes me like, God, mine wasn't that bad. And I just think as, as moms, we do that to ourselves a lot, even before the pandemic, right? We're like, yes. Oh, things are hard, but other people have it worse. And then I don't deal with my own shit. And then I remember I re- writing somewhere like, if I can't even brush my teeth, how am I supposed to help dismantle the patriarchy? Yes, it's so true, you know? But mine wasn't that bad. Like, so it's just this weird, this idea of like, of taking care of ourselves and then realizing that other people have it worse. And like, I knew that yours was stressful, but I didn't know it was this stressful. Yeah. But then you were also trying to take care of other people like outside your family. And I know I did some of that in the beginning, uh, early lockdown, I would say, early, a few months in. I think once, maybe once Charlie was sleeping. So probably four months, five months into the pandemic, I dealt with my anxiety by trying to help other people. So I was, you mentioned those mutual aid Facebook groups. So I was in some of those in the buy nothings and neighborhood groups. And I would see these, these parents and these mothers who were like, I'm out of diapers. Can anyone help me? I need formula. I don't get my next WIC check for two weeks or so. And I would like 
go to Target or go to the store or go to the grocery. I The first time I went to the grocery store in, in the whole pandemic was to go buy groceries for a woman who on next door was like, I don't have milk for my kid. And yes. I was like, what else do you need? And I was like, pilot, my husband's like, we don't have the money. I was like, they can't eat. The baby needs diapers. Yes. And so I dealt with my anxiety by helping people as much as I could. But then I also got to a point where I had to remove myself Same. from some of those groups because it was it was destroying me. But then I felt guilty because I'm like, I could be helping and I'm not. But also the mental drain on me because I want to just, I want to help everyone, especially babies. And I, I want to save all the babies. Yes. And you, while you were going through this, you're working at a restaurant that is a, it's like a pay what you can yeah. restaurant. So in April of 2021, it's so funny too, because right before you took that big trip, I had been helping Shanita Bryant with the prospect and we went to Thelma's kitchen and we were just talking to them about what they were doing. We had also visited Hope Faith because we were trying to figure out how we could help address the homeless issues. Talk about what Thelma's Kitchen is. for. So Thelma's Kitchen is a uh, donate what you can kitchen where you have all different walks of life coming into the cafe to eat. And they had to shut that part of it down because of the pandemic. So what they've gone to is a token system where um, a lot of people want to pay it forward. So they donate what they can and they will donate a token. And that token is used to give food to uh, people who don't have means to get food anywhere else. So you get one really great meal a day and you just use that token and you don't have to have any money or we have a $3 minimum. So it's either you have a token or you pay a minimum, but you get what everybody else will get. So most people pay 12 bucks for their meal, but if you don't have it, you don't have it. And we totally understand. And I was able to uh, start working there. And from there, we started, uh, like at the end of the day, we give our meals to Operation Breakthrough across the street, which helps uh, kids. And then I think the, the hardest part about that job, though, is being at the corner of 31st and Troost. It's an intersection of, there are like two bus stops, but you see what it really means to live in Kansas City. Yeah. And for those who are most of our listeners, I think, are not in Kansas City. Yeah. Troost is historically the unofficial dividing line between white Kansas City and black Kansas City. Yes. It almost feels a little bit like the haves and the have nots. And that's changing. I mean, Troost is my backyard. Like I literally like I'm my back is to Troost right now. It's in some ways evolving. There is some gentrification, but it has historically been this dividing line. Yeah. You see people jogging down the street that are students. And I've lived in this area for a long time. And for years, you did not see people jogging with their dogs, like down the street. It was just like not something that was really seen. But as it's continued to evolve, you know, like now you see people like jogging with the dogs, but you also see people who do not have, they do not have shoes. They don't have bus fare. They don't have any mental health support, you know, so Thelma's Kitchen is a part of reconciliation services. So what we are able to do with our sandwiches and getting people in to buy food is provide wraparound services. So we have therapists and social workers and rental assistants and utility assistants. And when the government was giving out all of those funds to be able to help support people, we then at Reconciliation Services were able to keep people from getting evicted, helping them to keep their lights on, to, to keep those things. When the rental moratorium shut down for us and they were going to start evicting people on a large scale, we were able to advocate for those people and keep them in their homes and 
it just was able to get me out of my own life and into the mode of how can I help people who don't have right now. So I've been just really appreciating every moment. And I've been able to work with a lot of local farmers and get in really good items and make sure that at least for this one meal a day, people have some sustenance and like something that's going to do something good for their body. So you're doing so much. You're not, I mean, not that anybody would be just a chef. I don't, that sounds pejorative. You're not just a chef though. You are almost acting in this like social work role. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but yeah, definitely. Because we had to shut the doors so nobody could come in. And so we serve through a window and working that window is so hard because people are hurting and if you can't solve their problem right in that moment, there is aggression and there is a lot of, you could just feel the pain, you know? So you kind of end up being a punching bag, but you also can end up being a ray of light in someone's day or just acknowledging someone when they wouldn't have been acknowledged in any other way. So if there's a lot of give and take, you know, and it just showed me that that's just life. There's a lot of give and take. There are so many ups and downs. But if I can take this one interaction with someone and help them in in any way that I can to just brighten up their day, I'll do it. And I will do it as often as I can and with a smile on my face. Does it ever bring you down? I know there there's an element of like feeling like you're helping and you're doing something and, and- you know, for me, it made me feel useful. It made me feel like I was doing something in a world where, like, the government wasn't doing anything, and yeah, and like things, people weren't getting what they needed, and so I felt like I could step in and help. But I was helping one person, yeah, and it it did, it made me feel good, but it also made me feel really bad that there were so many more people that I couldn't help. Gosh, yes, I feel that, I feel that so much because the need is so great, and if I've learned anything, anything, it is that you can't put a price tag on your mental health and you can't bypass your mental health. It is, you have to address it and acknowledge it and do what you can to improve it because your mind is so powerful. It can either lift you up or bring you down. The thing that's helped me the most is to, when I start feeling overwhelmed, I go through a gratitude list because I can focus on the negative, but if I focus on the things that I am so thankful for, even the smallest things, like just my arms working, my legs working, being able to vocalize what I need, I check back in and it gives me the fuel I need to keep going, you know, and and to keep being, I just really try to be a ray of light for people because it's not always going to be like this. Yeah. You know? I'm not like a person who I would say practices gratitude. I'm more of a cynical asshole. <laughs> but I do, you said about your arms, your legs working. I do it like, I've tr- I try to do that because I have some like body image issues. So yeah. I started trying to do that a long time ago when I'd be like, oh, I hate my legs. Be like, wait, my legs work. Yes. They work. They get yes. me places and they work. Like I should love these legs because they work. And they get me where I need to go. They may be big, but they are strong. Yes. They are strong ass legs. And that's what matters. Yes. So I've been, I have been trying to do more of that. I just have, I'm I'm not like a gratitude practice kind of person, but you're inspiring me to make it more of a, not just do it when I'm feeling bad about my body or bad, but like to do that 
more often because it does as much as I want to like be like, oh, I'm jaded. I'm cynical. Like, because <laughs> that's kind of, you know, part of my personal brand barf. Um, <laughs> it really does. It does help. It does help it does to focus help. on on what's good. I just worry about not me, but like hearing you saying like, I just want to help people and like practice gratitude and do good. But like, I'm like, who's taking care of you? What are you doing? Like, who is taking care of you? You know, my family takes care of me. They're really good about making me pause and stop. And you know, when I was, I was super pregnant working at Thelma's and there were like three of us when I first started there. And they always looked out for me and made sure that I was okay and always supported me and gave me the push that I needed to keep going, you know? And then I would go home and my husband would make me sit down and the kids would make me sit down and they would like make me dinner and take care of me. And I feel like I, I've always been, this is going to sound so stupid, but I've always had this hard shell, you know? And been able to go inside and just like hide. And through having kids, they just, they crack that shell, you know, and they make you, if you don't address it, it comes out in other ways. Yeah. I always want my kids to feel safe enough with me to be able to tell me when I need to back off or when I need to fix something. And I, good and bad, have given them that ability and Now they're going into the teenage years where they don't even want to hang out and they're just like, they're bitchy. They are, they're bitchy teenage girls and they don't want to hear anything that I have to say, but they will check me and be like, mom, you need to slow it down. Like take care of yourself. You need to take a bath. You need to go get your nails done. Like your hair looks messed up. What's going on? You know? And, (laughs) And so I, I listen to them. And I check back in with them when they do that. That's probably good. And you have a baby to squish. And I have a baby to squish. That is so cute and only saying dada. So I'm working on trying to get them to say mama. Yeah. Charlie said dada first too. Just so tired of that shit. You know that Jimmy Fallon dada book? No. Jimmy Fallon, he put a book out. It was probably when Teddy was born. So six years ago, Jimmy Fallon wrote a book called dada. And like every word is dada. And then there's animal noises. But now there's a mama book. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because I'm making mama songs. I'm making mama songs every day. I'm like, data? Da is easier, I think, for them than mm. Because Charlie said data for a long time for it, but he called everything data. Okay. I think it was just the syllables he knew. Oh, she she gets sad. Daddy. Daddy. I'm like, daddy. Who is <laughs> <laughs> daddy? Like, come on, man. Fine. I'm going to go take a bath. Yes. You guys hang out. I'm like, I guess she'll be having a formula bottle. Yeah. So I'm taking these tits with me. Mama's going to go take a bath with a different bottle. Yeah. <laughs> out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the baby to squish is nice. I will say it is. It is. So nice. Those little arms. But now I'm like stressed though, because I'm like, the other kids were like high teenagers. Now I've got a baby. They're going to be like 30 when she's like in her teens. So I'm like, is it fair that she's just solo by herself? Like, well, she's going to have like four other parents basically. Right. Okay. Cause they'll have, they'll be adults with jobs and money and cars. And then she can go stay the night. They can drive her places. Yes. She can have fun. Yeah. Okay. And you can have fun. Yes. Oh my gosh. You'll be able to like, you know, send her off to big sister's house. For yes. The Cause she's definitely, she's not a oops, but she's a, Oh Wow. And oh wow, I like yes that. because and, 
Oh wow. And oh wow, because I mean this, five kids is a is a lot of kids. It's a lot of kids. It's a lot of kids yeah. and a lot of girls. What you have a boy though? Yes. Okay. You have one boy? One boy. Four girls and one boy. Yes. Hey, he'll be a little feminist. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to get him there. He's he's a little punching bag right now, but he's working oh, through it. He'll get there. He'll, he'll get, get there. there. Uh, Natasha, it has been so, so nice to talk to you. I think I started this episode by saying we were supposed to hang out and then we got we got derailed because I started talking about something, but we were supposed to hang out. We were at this concert. We said we were going to have lunch and then that, that didn't happen. I got pregnant and then there was a pandemic. Yes. But I guess we're hanging out. We hung out today. We hung out today and we will definitely hang out. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you so, so, so much. Um, if people wanted to follow you online, what's the best place? I would say my Instagram, Eatable Casey. Eatable Casey for all the cheese and all the baby squish. Yes, and all the babies and all the fun. Thank you so much again for having me. Thank you. We will talk soon. Isn't Natasha great? After we stopped recording, she and I were chatting, and she told me that one of her kids is currently exploring their gender identity. Uh, She was hesitant to correct me when she wasn't entirely certain of what to say. So just a little editor slash host's note that while these two geriatric millennial moms said that she had four girls and one boy, I'm just correcting the record to say that she has five kids. Anyway, if you want to continue this conversation, either about gender identity or the conversation I had with Natasha, come on over to the Mother Mother Podcast Facebook group where the password is tired. And you can always find more information about the show and my guests at mothermotherpodcast.com, where you can also leave me a voicemail. Thank you so much for listening to Mother Mother. If you're loving the show, please, please, please tell your mom friends, either on social media or in real life. And please also rate and review Mother Mother on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. The more people listen, the more time I can spend creating great episodes like this for you. I'll be back next week with another episode of Mother Mother. So go ahead and hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Our theme song, Mother Mother by Tracy Bonham, is performed by the amazing Jocelyn McKenzie with Harry Bowles. Bye. Mother, mother, can you hear me? Sure, I'm sober. Sure, I'm sane. Life is perfect. Never better. Still your daughter. Still the same. If I tell you what you want to hear.